I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversation exploring the wonders of our human experience and what it means to live well. My guest today is musician Adam K. Garo, better known as Adam Soul Music. Not only will we be in conversation, but Adam will also perform a few of her songs for us live in the studio. Adam K. Garo is Adam Soul Music, a world-class vocalist, performer, and multi-instrumentalist currently living in Omaha. Adam is a 12 times Omaha Entertainment and Arts Award nominee, a 2018 winner for Best Soul, and a 2020 and 2021 winner for Outstanding World Music, playing over 12 instruments, including the harp, ukulele, guitar, and various forms of African percussion, Adam also sings in English, as well as in her native tongue, called Gar, originating from the Gar tribe of Ghana, West Africa. Utilizing her gifts and philosophy of life, Adam curates performances based in the realm of sound and how it can affect the human spirit. Adam, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's possibly unfair. I know we'll circle around this during the next hour, but the big question to start with in your bio, there's reference to your philosophy of life. And I just wanted to start there with a big question. What does that mean? I would say that on Earth currently, there are potentially 8 billion various ways to live life. And I am one out of that 8 billion. And I believe that there's something very precious about that, even though there are 8 billion various perspectives lifestyles, ideas. I believe that I've been given this gift called life. And if in any way an aspect of my existence can bring growth, joy, discernment, purpose, then I will live in a way that allows those things to take place. And so it'll manifest itself through my music specifically and conversations I have with people, um, the way I interact with nature, and even the way I interact with myself. I think, above all, being patient is important, being kind, showing compassion, and discernment. Um, I do come from a religious background, and so for me, God is an... I can't even begin to show the reverence of how God has played such a big role in my life. But through what I've experienced in my existence, through my cultural traditions and through our beliefs, I've come to know that there is a precious aspect of existence that resides inside of every single human on this planet. And in whatever way that I can let those 8 billion people know that there's something magnificent that resides within their existence, and that is essentially, I mean, in the shortest way I can put it, my philosophy on life. Living in a way that allows others to know that there is something spectacular that can come from their life, even if it's not what mainstream media considers spectacular. 
I really appreciate you pointing out that we each can have our unique approaches to life and it doesn't need to be told to us. For you, one of the many aspects in, in which you bring a certain joy and purpose to your life is through music. And, and I, I want to take that journey with you and, and to get to that point where we talk specifically about your music. I want to jump back just a little bit and ask you about your childhood, how your life and your life context shape you. So I, I believe you were born in Maryland. Yes. Okay. You're a first generation Ghanaian American. Mm -hmm. And so my understanding is that you were raised in a fairly tight-knit Ghanaian community um, out on the East Coast in, in Maryland. So what memories do you have of your early childhood? I remember living in Maryland. We moved a lot when my father was alive. And I, I guess I don't have a specific favorite, but I do have memories from all of the places that we lived in. Um, one of my fondest memories is being able to go to the wharf and get fresh seafood. Oh my goodness, the Chesapeake Bay. I remember going to the market and then seeing fresh fish that the fishermen had just caught, loading it in on the dock. The smell of salty seawater and fish. That is something that shaped my childhood. So um, today I think about how I source my food. In some ways, an aspect of my life was sourced directly from the source. And so that's something that I feel like stems from my childhood till today. But another thing that I loved um, as a child growing up on the East Coast, as a first-generation Ghanaian-American, um, would be the restaurants. I remember I could walk into a restaurant in Baltimore with my family, and I could find people who spoke the same language, cooked the same food, I mean, the food was always excellent. <laughs> it was always excellent. Um, like my mom made it, like just excellent. I mean, it just felt like I was in another world. And I also lived in predominantly Spanish speaking communities as well. So I was surrounded by people from all over South America and Mexico. It just was a really world, I don't wanna say like just a worldly experience because I mean, we also lived with um, people from Afghanistan, like we lived with people from all over the place. Uh, childhood best friend I had um, was Pakistani. So like it was just this melting pot of people. So even though I had my Ghanaian community, I was also involved in various communities with people with various languages. So I had this worldview kind of being formed and shaped as I grew up on the East Coast. And that was something my mom and my dad were very adamant about. They wanted to ensure that we had exposure to other people, other lifestyles, other ideas. So from a very early age, through all those experiences, I think, you know, I came to learn that people must be appreciated. It doesn't matter if you and them believe in the same thing or not, or, you know, are fighting for the same thing or not. There's something beautiful to be found in everyone, if you look. I don't want to dwell on the traumas in your oh. life, but you're describing that really wonderful, rich tapestry of experience you had when you were mm -hmm. quite young. But I understand that you lost your father when you were about nine. Yes. And around age 11, your family moved to Omaha. Mm -hmm. So it's a new place. 
you've had some traumas in your life and moving is an upheaval in and of itself. Right. So what was that experience like for you to adapt to a, a new community? Well, it was rather difficult. Um, my father and I had a very um, weird, close, loving <laughs> relationship um, to where, you know, my dad was absolutely like he, he, he loved this country so much. And, you know, one day he's like, you're going to join the military because you know, like anything to, you know, protect America. And this is, you know, back in the 90s and early, you know, um, I think definitely pre 9-11. And so like it was just like this idea that, you know, I was like my dad's little soldier, you know. And so sometimes he'd walk in the room and he'd be like a Ted shun. And I'm like, and so like that was like the love that like we had and I mean like there was no doubts about it I was gonna join the military like that was it <laughs> and I was like yeah and he was like yeah um but you know um my father passed away and um it was actually a really it was tough it was just so difficult the best way that I can describe what that felt like is in the in the words of saying that like when someone dies, you go through the withdrawal of a human being. And I think that's like one of the worst withdrawals you can have in this existence. And that's what it felt like at nine. And I knew what that, I, like I knew what it was. I knew what it meant. I knew how it felt. I knew that he was gone and not going to come back. And that was a lot of realities hitting me at once. And my mom at the time was pregnant. And so it was just tough. Like there was a lot of factors going into it. But um, my mom, she said she prayed about it. And God was like, go to Nebraska. And like my nine-year-old head, I'm like, what? <laughs> you sure that was a real conversation? No, but yeah, she she definitely felt it in her spirit. And, you know, we moved here. And I think that was one of the best things that could have ever happened. And Every single day, I just see the blessings that have come from moving here. It wasn't easy when we first moved here. I was bullied. Life was hard. Kids didn't understand my cultural background. I was made fun of for it. I was an other. Um, kids were not as open as I, I thought them to be back on the East Coast. And at the same time, you know, comically, I'm like, what even is Nebraska? So, obviously... <laughs> challenging at a formative age to move from what felt like a multicultural upbringing to one that your own diverse heritage is one that created a situation for which you were bullied. Mm. Um, I wonder how much of this influenced your music and, and what you do now. Mm. Before I ask about where you are now with music and, and what you're expressing, I should ask first, when did music sort of first appear for you? And when did you realize that you wanted to be intentional about being a musician? I guess I'll start by saying this. Our household has always been a musical household. Like our traditionally speaking, culturally speaking, God people are just musical people. Um, our language is a tonal language. You know, we sing at everything. When we pray, we sing. And when we have 
you know, celebration of life, funerals, we sing. When we have celebration of life, births or marriages, we sing. When someone cooks food, we sing. So everything, our life revolves around music. And so as a kid, I was always surrounded by music, whether it was my mom singing, my dad singing, my family members singing, um, music that I'm you know, listening to. So I've always music, I was always you know, musical in that sense, but my mother traditionally placed me in violin in the third grade. And I was like, who do you think you are <laughs> giving me this difficult instrument? <laughs> and she's like, if you don't play. <laughs> and I was like, okay, mom. And so like, I hated it while I was doing it because it was terrible. And to be honest, she hated it too. You know, I remember she had a conversation with my orchestra teacher and she was like, when is she going to sound good? <laughs> when does it, when does it get better? Because the ear, ear is just not it. Um, but you know, she was very diligent and she was like, you are going to stick with this. This is a classical instrument. It's been around for hundreds of years. You're going to learn how to play it. I stuck with it. And I am so thankful for that background because it has opened up possibilities of music to me in ways that I've never, I don't think I would have experienced any other way had she not put me through that. And I started young. I think I started violin at eight years old, eight or nine. And so I stuck with it all the way through college. I still play from time to time, not with any organization or body. Um, I incorporate it in my music sometimes, like my tracks that I produce. Um, but when I was seven years old, I coming, coming back to your question about, um, how, when did I start becoming intentional? When I was seven years old, I remember that I used to watch this, uh, show called, I think it was like Showtime at the Apollo. That was like our entertainment. Like that was our America's Got Talent, American Idol. Like that was it. And I was like. I'm going to be like, okay. So I used to see like people getting booed off stage. The Sandman would come out and sweep <laughs> them away. <laughs> right. And everyone would be like, boo. Like, you know, people could show that they didn't like it or it was, you know, bad. And so I remember sitting there and I'm just like, I want to be so undeniably good that no one will ever boo me off stage. So that way one day, if I ever, get on the Showtime at Apollo. No one will boo me off stage. No one will sweep me off stage, push me off stage, cackle me off stage. They will know that it is quality and good. And this is me at seven years old. <laughs> like I'm listening to Spice Girls on one day and the next day I'm just like, I have plans. And so I think from there I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna start writing songs. I'm gonna start singing songs. I remember I entered into a jingle contest with Oscar Mayer. Let's just say that I, they didn't pick me and I was very broken about it. And so I was like, <laughs> you know, like, like I remember singing the jingle, like if I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, like singing that to like my mom, like, isn't it good? Like as I'm like crying. And <laughs> I think my mom was just kind of like, Adam, there are better things. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping you are going to perform that for us in the studio later. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know if my seven-year-old heart can take it. Um, but yeah, I just remember after that specifically, 
getting rejected at seven <laughs> for something I wanted to dedicate my life to. I was like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm, this is, nope. I don't know what this is. I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to be famous one day and I'm going to be a great singer. And Oscar Mayer is going to come back and be like, write us a jingle. And I'd be like, hmm, 500 bajillion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that you play so many instruments, how then did your musicianship and, and your growth into a musician change once you, know, once you maybe hit your teens and, and moved into adulthood? I got into so many instruments after that first violin. You know, that was like my, my gateway instrument. <laughs> they got me into everything else. Um, and I was just enamored with all of the different types of instruments that could exist in the world, period. So I stayed through orchestra um, through my um, young years, like, you know, middle school, high school. And um, I just remember I had one teacher in one of those in my high, high school they were very negative about my musical experience. Um, and I wish he, I mean, I think everything happened the way it was supposed to because it pushed me to become who I am today. Um, but I loved music, but I don't think that was conveyed to my teacher. And so the way that my teacher treated me, I don't think was kind. Like there were times where I'm like, I think one day he said in class, he was like, there's no one that can think of music, that can create a melody and lyrics at the same time. And I remember in class, I raised my hand. I'm like, I can. And he's like, no, there's no one. And I'm like, no, but I, I can. I can do that. And he's like, no, you can't. And basically told me that I was disrupting class and being um, insubordinate. And so I just remembered that like, I thought I was in a space in which I could expand or be taught in a way that would help me to expand. I think later I had another music teacher who was just, I mean, touched my life in a positive way. So that was remedied <laughs> after a year. But um, I just remembered that I was like, what? Like, you don't even, you, you, have, you don't even know. You haven't even, you don't know everything. You don't know everything. And because of that, I think that pushed me even more to create more content, to, create more songs, to write more songs, to, I think I had a, a, a flip phone back then and my flip phone had a record option. And so because I think of melodies and lyrics at the same time, I would just record myself all the time. And I remembered that that happened around the same time where I was like, oh no, this man doesn't know what he's talking about. And so I started to record myself on my phone. So that way I'd have these songs for later. But I think now as I look at my life and my motivations and things like that, I think growing up, a lot of it was trying to prove people otherwise. And now I don't feel like I owe anyone anything. I don't have to prove anyone anything. Now I talk more about, you know, the spiritual and the, I'm trying to find the right word to say this, but like just the existence of life. Like you and I exist. Let's talk about that. You know, how does it feel? You know, what does it mean to forgive ourselves? What does that look like? You know, what does joy look like? Um, but I think it really, that really started to come around after I started to be okay with the fact that I was different in the sense of 
um, my cultural background. Given this wealth of experience that you're describing, this cultural heritage and and this drive to absorb and express music, what are some of these inspirations and um, how do you weave together some of this rich experience you have? Mm. So like I mentioned um, a bit earlier, in middle school I had a very hard time adjusting and I've come to learn um, in recent years that there's something called a culturative stress. And um, because I'm also a speaker and um, I think there's like seminars that I do every year with an organization out of state that helps to educate teachers on um, kids who are first generation Americans or kids with multicultural backgrounds to kind of help them understand the culture so that they can approach education in a more um, compassionate and understanding way. I teach about a culture of stress and how children who are born in dual households, culturally speaking, um, if they have parents who have one culture that is outside of American, I think American is a mel- American culture is a melting pot, but specifically speaking, another country outside of America, and you have the American culture, the child will feel a tug towards the American culture because it's prevalent. And so as a child, especially in middle school, I knew that I was getting made fun of because of my food, my language, and um, I just, I wanted to distance myself away from that. Um, Mm. I remember that it took some time for me to get back into loving myself, accepting myself in that way. And I remember my mom saying that, you know, no one else was born as me. I was the only one that was born as me. And the sooner that I can love and accept myself, then the faster I can get to living. You know, I was just kind of like, uh, I can't run from this. This is who I am. And it's a beautiful thing, right? Everyone has their story and everyone's stories are theirs. And this is mine. And so as I started to grow, I started to get back into my language again, speaking my language a lot more, eating my food, not being ashamed of it because someone doesn't understand that, you know, rice and stew is amazing or jollof is just amazing. You know, I don't have to deal with that negativity in my life. (laughs) And so I wanted to bridge that gap of recognizing that, yes, I am, you know, an American, but I also have this Ghanaian heritage And I wanted to put those two together in a way that would let other first-generation American kids know, regardless of where they come from, or multicultural kids, let them know that it's okay to have these different cultural heritages in your life and that it's okay to express yourself. The next time someone tells you to speak English, you know, you have confidence in who you are and know how to respond to that because you are empowered. Right. And so I sing in my language to let others know that it is okay to be who they are. And I also sing in my language to let those who are solely English speaking, I sing in my language so that they can see the beauty that can be found in other languages, the beauty that can be found in other cultures. I sing in English, I sing in Ga. I'm actually learning a couple of songs in Icelandic and in Chinese. And um, Portuguese, I like to sing in Portuguese. And so I, I love languages and I love putting them into my work. And so a large motivation for me within my music is to not only share that languages are beautiful because we're made up of many of them and not just to show others, 
you know, that come from multicultural backgrounds, that it's okay. There's so many words, feelings, emotions that are hard to put into English. There are things that I feel like I can speak to easier. And so growing up, you know, I listened to Whitney Houston, Selena, Gloria Estefan, Tony Braxton, ABBA, um, Earth, Wind & Fire. And then I found like my dad's old stash of music, which is like Tupac and Biggie and I think Will Smith was in there. I don't know. I, it just, you know, so I had those artists that kind of shaped my musical sound. And I felt like at the time with Whitney, I'm like, she has such a big voice and she's talking about like, you know, she like that. I believe the children of the future, you know, and and things like that. I just like I think really helped to shape my music today in a way that I feel like I can talk about whatever I want, and in a way that provokes thought. That's what I like. I like to provoke thought. Is now a good time to invite you to provoke some thinking? You feel like playing a song or so? Yeah, I think we could do that. So this song I'm going to sing for you is called True Nature. I think the song in its own way is very self-explanatory. This is one of those songs that I wrote <laughs> just kind of like on the spot, but I felt like it definitely has some um, profound notes, like how we perceive ourselves. And then what's the truth? You say your heart's an open door But you show me otherwise You say your heart's an open door But you, oh, you show me otherwise Give man the right to wisdom You speak with your lips You say give man the right to wisdom But is man ready for it? Are you ready for it? Uh, so let the seasons come So we can look back at what we've done Yes, we'll go on, but with time we'll see the true nature of our souls, of our souls, of our souls, yeah, 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 yeah. A butterfly flows through this life while an eagle soars high above the clouds. Like butterflies, we flow through this life, yeah, like eagles. We only want one thing, and that's to soar. That's to soar. That's the soul, soul, yeah. 
So let the seasons come So we can look back at what we've done Yes, we'll grow old But with time we'll see The true nature of our person and how has music been a part of your evolution i would say that music is a lifelong friend that is patient understanding wise and encouraging and stubborn and so through all of my shifts moods emotions words thoughts ideas music has always been the parallel kind of form of a coexistence of my spirit in sound. <laughs> and so I, I feel like music is eternal. <laughs> music on that spectrum, frequencies, they're in everything around us all the time, you know. And um, so when I think about music, it's always been here. And when I think about me, I haven't always been here. And so I feel like, you know, the student and the master situation. So as a student, I'll get frustrated at life's lessons and I'll think a type of way and I won't relinquish my thoughts. And that stubbornness can lead to situations, I'll just say. There are so many words I could I could you know, put in place with the word situations, but experiences is ultimately, you know, the after effects of a thought, right? Your thoughts shape your experiences. And so if I'm thinking a type of way and living a type of way, I am a type of way. And so I think throughout my childhood and discovering who I am, who I was then, and who I wanted to be, and then trying to strive towards that in some way, 
thinking about the world and the way the world operates, what is popular in the media, what is considered as beautiful, what is cool, and then thinking about the life I want to live and having to battle the narrative of trying to fit in those boxes and then ultimately shifting into who I am today, which is recognizing that I make those boxes and I can sit in that box like a cat if I want to. Or not, I create my reality every millisecond. And I do not have to waste my milliseconds on someone else's idea of what reality should be when I can do it myself. And I think at this point, music's like, yeah, that's it right there. I don't have to be any one type of way for anyone or anything at any time I could change. Anyone can change at any time, right? But the consistency that is sound itself, even though it is inconsistent, I find that has helped to aid me in my life in a way that allows me to be firm in who I am today. So that way, when I shift and change again, music will still be there as it's always been, but I will be even more as I need to be then. I love that expression about the interiority of your life and how music is a, a guide and a friend. And now I'm throwing myself back to your coming about watching Showtime at the Apollo. Yeah. Um, and thinking about the external factors that also um, weigh in on us. And you've talked about media, for example, too. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know that you were at the 62nd Grammys. Yes, in, uh, So <laughs> they were uh, performed January 2020, so just before the pandemic. Just really before. Mm -hmm. So you attended and I understand you performed. I did not perform at you the did not Grammys, perform. but I performed at a pre-Grammy event. So would you share a little bit about the experience sort of leading into the Grammys, um, and also how that experience perhaps has shaped your sense of what could be with music outside of yourself? Another big question. I love it. Um, so another statement that I made as a child um, was that I was going to win a Grammy. I was like, I'm going to win a Grammy. Uh, I think my teenage years, it was like, I'm going to become an EGOT. And so along the way, like I have these really big goals. Um, and you know, I don't even think I really understood what a Grammy was as a kid, but I'm like, I'm going to win it. People are winning it for music. I'm going to win it too, you know, cause I can. And so I've been saying that for years, but it's not easy to get into the Grammys. Like not anyone can just go unless you are anyone with money, <laughs> I think, but you, there are specific qualifications, you know? And so, um, I was like, man, I, I, that would be a dream, right? Um, and I, I will get there with my music. But I entered into this um, competition, a songwriting competition with Lincoln Motors. Um, and out of 1,600 entrants, I became one of four finalists. And I wrote a song called What Drives You, and it was played on my harp. And they flew us out to L.A., 
Um, I mean, it was an unforgettable experience, very um, affirming and confirming. It was, I think it was just amazing. Um, we were treated very well. And I'm like, this is the life. <laughs> I'm like, this is the life. I love it. And I mean, like, there were like cameras everywhere. Um, not like 24-7. I think when we were shooting the commercials here in Omaha, we had, there was like cameras everywhere. And I was just like, this is so cool. I love it. Like, this is awesome. Like, we're making something together. There's so many people who came together to make this thing happen. And we're doing it. And I think my song has a positive message. And so if that message can reach people, then everything that can help propel it is awesome. And I'm going to go to the Grammys. What? And so the night before the Grammys, LA has like a bunch of like, you know, events. But because Ford... Um, who owns Lincoln, Lincoln is a subsidiary of Ford, they were sponsoring the Grammys. And so like they were having their own pre-Grammy event. And so they had, I mean, all of the Lincoln execs and Ford execs there. Um, I think that they probably met the president of Lincoln, North America. Like it was just like <laughs> crazy. And then there were a lot of um, influencers that were there too. And then they also had like people from the Grammy, like uh, the Recording Academy that was actually there at the party too. And I also, this is like the craziest thing. I got to perform on stage with John Batiste. Like what? This dude won like, I don't even know how many Grammys just recently. Well-deserved by the way. He's a phenomenal human being. I mean, I he's just a, a wonderful human and deserves every wonderful thing. Um, but I got to play with, I think his name is John uh, Gadsden who played, I mean, with Bill Withers. I think he also played with like Michael Jackson and like the greats. And so I was on that stage and performed for the audience. And I felt like it was such a wonderful feeling. That day, we also um, got to see how they put the Grammys together, how they do the red carpet, how they do, you know, the different sections for people, what Staples is gonna look like. Um, I remember we met Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton, which I'm like, this is so random, but hi. <laughs> I'm like, she's really, you know, gorgeous in real life. Like, I mean, you'd think that a lot of people do, you know, um, like, you know, everything online is like airbrushed now and photoshopped and whatnot. But like, really, authentically, like, she's what you see. And I'm like, wow, you know, because Hollywood is also very fabricated in some sense. Um, but I was happy to meet her, happy to meet him. I think um, we saw Lil Nas X, um, doing a warm-up on stage and then we passed by bts's um rehearsal room or green room and so i was like wow this is so cool already afterwards um we went through the entire process of what it's like when a celebrity wins a grammy or i shouldn't just say celebrity because they're people who are not known in the media but they still win grammys but what it's like when they win a grammy and where they stand and where go and so I walked through that whole process and I'm like mm, I'm gonna do this again it's just a dress rehearsal for you right that's how I'm taking it it is a dress rehearsal it'll happen and so all of that happened before the Grammys and then it was the actual day of the Grammys and I walked the red carpet where all the other stars have walked I was like wow this is crazy I mean, they stopped us. Paparazzi was taking our, our photos. And I mean, I, I was just, it was, what? <laughs> what? It was just crazy. It was such a crazy experience. 
And so we went through the whole show. I learned then that there are two Grammy events. There is the main Grammys where you hear that people won a Grammy for such and such award, you know, um, and then there's like the televised Grammys, right? And so the main Grammys, I mean, I got to hear some really awesome music. I got to hear Esperanza Spalding speak. And I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, like it's you in the flesh. Like, this is crazy. Um, it was just great to see that, right? It was a, a really beautiful award ceremony. And then the televised award ceremony was even was also amazing because I got to see Lizzo perform, Lil Nas X, Billy Ray Cyrus, I think Run DMC and ACDC. I mean, Ariana Grande. So like all of Billie Eilish, like all of these people in one space. So I, I thought that was like, this is a mega concert televised, but this is crazy. So I guess long story short, it was an unforgettable experience that I cannot wait to experience again, rightfully when I am nominated for a Grammy. And to perform your winning yes. uh, <laughs> composition. Yes. You know, such a rich life experience. And it really feels to me as if your sense of purpose and sense of feeling fully alive is continuing to flourish. And I wonder what that means for you next. How do you see your life developing from here musically or otherwise so that you continue to feel as if you're living fully? Living fully. Well, I think, I don't know what future Adam is going to do, but if I know Adam, it's that she'll be Adam and do Adam things in Adam time. And all I can hope is that Adam will not be a light that is hid and not be afraid of being exactly who she came into this life to be, a rock star, <laughs> you know, in every sense of the word, but more importantly, in the sense of being happy and full of integrity, because music today has little integrity. Mainstream music has little integrity. Unfortunately, music that makes it to a mainstream a main vein tends to be, tends to fit a certain type of a formula, one that would and could potentially compromise integrity. And so I hope that future Adam has made it into the mainstream without ever having to compromise an ounce of integrity while preserving authenticity. And so that's what I can hope for future Adam. That's what I can hope for myself now. And I think through all of it, past Adam, little Adam, will be so happy that I'm doing music anyway. So in some sense, I could do no wrong. Is uh, now the opportunity for a closing song? Yeah. So this song I'm going to be performing for you today is called Mountain Song. And it's a really simple song, but I think... In everyone's lives, you know, we come to a point in which we need to find our mountain. And not in mountain in the sense of everyone's got challenges, you know, but in the sense of in spite of those challenges, find a mountain of refuge. And that's what this song is about, overcoming those challenges 
and standing on top of them on your mountain of refuge, whether that's in knowing who you are or <laughs> insert empowerment here. <laughs> Where you say that I could be anyone that I want to this was true but tell me why is it that every time I go and try you're always bringing me down down to the
I'm so happy that we're no longer together. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> there is uh, no need for a Sandman around here. That <laughs> Yay. <laughs> My guest today has been musician Adam K. Garo. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Aww. Lives is hosted and produced by me, Stuart Chittenden, and brought to you by KIOS, Omaha Public Radio. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. In the coming weeks, you will hear conversations with, among others, Scott Jones, Senior Minister for First Central Congregational Church in Omaha, the custom furniture maker and wood sculptor, Todd McCollister, and Jay Leiter, who is an Associate Professor of Communication Studies and Director of the Sustainability Studies Program at Creighton University. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>